So let's pray. God, we are grateful for this day. Um, it's really hot, God. It's really, really hot, but we are thankful uh, to be in this nice air-conditioned building. And, you know, we're thankful for the seasons. I think life would get boring if it was the same all the time. Uh, but we would like to see some rain and some cooler temperatures. And so if, if you can push some of that our way, we would appreciate it. But this morning, we are so happy to be gathered together as a church family. Uh, once again, as we come to this hour or hour and a half of worship, whatever it turns out to be, that we just get to pause for a moment. We get to kind of breathe out the things that are causing us anxiety and breathe in the Holy Spirit and just rest knowing that you've got us all in your hands. And so we're grateful for that. As we worship this morning, uh, we long to hear a word from you, uh, to experience you in some form or fashion that, that fuels us for the week, changes how we perceive things when we walk out the door. We know that part of what needs to happen uh, to make sure that that is open and available to us is that we need to confess that we have um, we've messed up this week. Every single person in this room has um, said and done things or left things undone that we know should have been different, and we look back on that and we have regrets, and it alienates us from you, and we don't want that. And so we just want to confess to you those things right now. Uh, I'm going to pause and give us an opportunity just to confess silently the things that we want to say to you. So here now as we confess those things in the silence of our hearts. God, we're grateful to know that you sent your son to die for us before we even confessed anything. That while we were still steeped in our sin and unrepentant, you sent Jesus to die for us. And so because of that, we know how you feel. That you loved the whole world and sent your son. And so we thank you that in his name we are forgiven this morning. God, we also have burdens on our hearts this morning. We have friends, loved ones, church members, family members, situations, things that, that we walked into this sanctuary this morning with those heavy on our hearts, and that also can hinder hearing you today. And so we're going to call names and situations out to you, and in doing so, release them into your care and not worry about them anymore. We're going to give them over to you. And so we ask that in your mercy you hear these names and hear our prayer. Mike and Pat Brosset, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. 
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. My mother and Aunt Ruth. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. 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 My mother and father, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, we also lift up all of our church members who are not here this morning because they are sick, ill, too weak to come. We pray for those who are traveling on vacation. Keep them safe on the road and bring them back into our doors soon and very soon. Any unspoken requests, we lift those to you as well. Take these from us. Release us from that burden because there's really nothing that we can do. Our worrying doesn't change anything. Help us to instead trust in your goodness and in your love. We thank you for that. As we continue to worship, may you be present among us. May you be glorified in all that we say and do. And it is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from Acts chapter 2, very, very early in the life of the church. Uh, Jesus has been uh, ascended into heaven, and the Holy Spirit has come upon them, and this is really the first glimpse that we see of what the church is beginning to look like. Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. Listen now for a word from the Lord. The community continually committed themselves to learning what the apostles taught them, gathering for fellowship, breaking bread, and praying. Everyone felt a sense of awe because the apostles were doing many signs and wonders among them. There was an intense sense of togetherness among all who believed. They shared all their material possessions and trust. They sold any possessions and goods that did not benefit the community and used the money to help everyone in need. That's a rummage sale. They had a rummage sale. They were unified as they worshipped at the temple day after day. In homes, they broke bread and shared meals with glad and generous hearts. The new disciples praised God and they enjoyed the goodwill of all the people of the city. Day after day, the Lord added to their number everyone who was experiencing liberation. A word from God for the people of God. Thanks, Thanks be, be to God. God. But today we're talking about something else, so let's pray. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing to you. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So we just read uh, a little bit of Acts chapter 2. 
snapshot in the life of the early, early, early church. And what strikes me as I read this uh, is the closeness of the people. The closeness of the people. They aren't just going to worship once a week. Uh, They were spending time together, Luke tells us, daily. They were spending time together daily. They were involved in each other's lives beyond just Sunday morning worship. He tells us uh, they were gathering together for instruction. He tells us that they were gathering together for fellowship, which is a word that we throw around. We even build fellowship halls, right? Fellowship is this Greek word koinonia. Have you heard koinonia before? Maybe you've heard that in a Bible study or something. Koinonia literally means partnership or participation in the life of the others. Uh, He tells us that they were getting together to eat meals. They were getting together to pray. And they did this in the temple courts. They did this in each other's homes. They probably did it on the way to work or the way home from work or wherever they could find the opportunity to gather and do some of these things. They did it. This was a close-knit group of people. Very close indeed. Uh, Partly because, well... Jesus had just been killed by the Romans, and so to claim Christ as your Savior is a little bit dangerous thing. You pro- if you're going to enter into this life, you want to do it with other people, and you need to make sure that you guys are all on the same page and, and close, and you've got each other's backs. But they were connected to each other on another level beyond just Sunday morning worship. I uh, met a guy several years ago, Lane and I did. Uh, His name is Wayne Jacobson. And uh, Wayne was a former pastor uh, and then became an author and a speaker, public speaker. He's got a company that helps uh, resolve issues. He'll go into school districts. If there's a resolution that needs to happen, he'll kind of mediate that. Uh, Goes to churches and speaks on many different topics. Wonderful guy. Uh, Wayne... Uh, it's kind of interesting backstory. Uh, Wayne and another friend, they had this little publishing company that Wayne would publish his books. And they had a, a friend named William Paul Young. Oh, and William Paul Young said, hey, I've got this idea for a book and kind of shot it to them. And they reworked it and rewrote it. And they uh, did the first pressing on, on their little publishing company. That book was called The Shack. Yeah, so right? So, so Wayne's little publishing company like blew up into this thing. Uh, but anyway, he's got several books, and uh, one of them I, I had in my library. It's called Authentic Relationships, Discovering the Lost Art of One-Anothering. Okay, so it's, it, it's all about this idea of cultivating a closeness within a group of people, whether it be your church or work environment or whatever it is, uh, learning how to uh, kind of be involved in each other's lives. This is what he says. He says, Christianity is a journey into ever-deepening levels of relationship and ever-widening spaces of freedom. When you're on that journey, you will naturally talk about it in virtually every conversation you have. And when you connect with someone else who is sharing that journey, your conversation will be the best. Sharing the journey is as natural as breathing. Those on the journey talk about encouragement, 
help, service, support, love, compassion, forgiveness, and trust. They will focus on loving God more freely and one another more openly, trusting God instead of trusting themselves, being real instead of repeating right answers. Is that the end of the quote that I have? Yeah, yeah. It keeps going. It's a really good book. But the idea that I love what he's saying in here is that uh, the Christian uh, life, Christianity, the Christian faith, it's a journey. It's a journey that we are on together because we're moving into this idea of Christ-like transformation. Hopefully, we're on the journey to become more and more like Jesus every single day as we walk. We know that we're moving toward eternity. We know what our destination is, right? And so we're all on this journey together, and we might arrive at different times, but we're all traveling this road together. And according to Genesis, we are created to do this together. You remember when God created Adam and said, it's not good that Adam be alone. This idea that humans need other humans for this journey. And so God creates more humans and then says, now make more humans because you all need each other. And I'll walk with you as well. I'll be with you. But we got this problem that I spoke about last week. Do you all remember? I talked about how we have this idea. We bought into this concept that the Christian life is only about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the prevailing thought among us today, among Americans, is this idea that the Christian journey is about you and Jesus, and you're walking on the beach together, and there's two, two sets of footprints in the sand, except for when you get into trouble, and then Jesus picks, picks you up and carries you. There's no mention of the other footprints of those who are journeying alongside you. Perhaps it's Ken Sides that picks me up when I need it right? <laughs> Some of you are laughing. And so because we have this, this idea, because maybe even unconsciously we believe this about the, the Christian journey, uh, this leads to church communities that tend to prioritize Sunday morning, and then the rest of the week you're left to walk alone until the next Sunday morning. That's how most churches function. We get together on Sunday. I'll see you next Sunday, right? But Luke shows us in this early snapshot of the church that churches that are connected beyond Sunday are stronger, healthier, more resilient churches. They can accomplish what other groups of people cannot accomplish when they are intentional about connecting to each other. Y'all, even the corporate world knows this, right? This is not a secret. This is not some kind of uh, a secret spiritual information. The corporate world knows this. Christine Porath wrote a book called Mastering Community. It has nothing to do with Christianity. Mastering Community, the surprising ways that coming together moves us from surviving to thriving. And it's all about business, in the business world. She says that businesses that are intentional about creating ways for their employees to feel connected to each other beyond just the work that they do day in and day out, those companies have a higher productivity, they have less turnover, and they. she found that the attitudes within the company, people start shifting from saying work is something I go to 
to it's something that I belong to. This is in the corporate world, right? Years ago, years and years ago, I worked for a, uh, a data, data cable installation company. You know, the, the, the cable wires that run in and through and help you connect to the internet. That's, that's what I did. We would install cable in schools and in businesses. And one time we got a contract to do uh, some cabling for a company called Blinds.com. That was the name of the company, Blinds.com. And uh, when we walked into this, this office, uh, I knew that it was not a regular office. I mean, it was immediate, immediately aware, this is not a normal office space. They had cubicles, but the cubicles weren't like the walls that came up so you couldn't see anybody else but your little gray wall. They were like half walls. You could see everybody else in the space. Each cubicle was decorated to kind of highlight the personality of each individual. The owners of the company dedicated one large wall in the room. It was a brick wall where employees could post their favorite movies and videos and why they loved them on the wall. There was another room off to the side that had a ping pong table. And they were encouraged to take regular breaks and grab somebody and go play a game of ping pong. This was not a normal office, y'all. I could tell as soon as I walked in, there was a different energy in the place. They were connected beyond just the work they had to do. There was a sense of togetherness. And I suspected that many of them probably got together after hours to go play sports or go to the bar or whatever. They, it, they didn't just see each other at, at work. I could tell. So it didn't surprise me to find out that in uh, 2012, the, this is down in Houston, by the way, the National Association of Business Resources named them in 2012 the best company to work for. They were named the best company to work for. The mayor of Houston gave them an award for their commitment to employee development and company culture. They wanted to create a culture within the, the, the workspace where they moved from just being co-workers to friends, right? And they were intentional about doing that. And it was an awesome place. I don't know if they're still open. I probably need to go by there and see if they're still open. Now, churches, like companies that know what they're doing, churches that know what they're doing usually provide opportunities for connection beyond Sunday morning. Now, some churches call these small groups or cell groups or home groups or grace groups. There's all kinds of names that are thrown out there. But whatever you call it, these, these smaller subgroups that allow for connection throughout the week are designed to help you journey with others rather than just by yourself during the week. The problem is only a fraction of the membership of, of any given church actually uh, utilizes this opportunity, right? If you've got a church of, of 500 people, maybe only 100 people would be involved in some kind of small group. The majority of most churches only come on Sunday because we have this idea that, that, that I just come here with other people who have a personal relationship with Jesus just like I do, and so they have their personal relationship, and I have my personal relationship, and I'm working things out with Jesus, and I'll see them next week. 
We've got to reconsider this, though. Not just because we read about it in Acts and we see what kind of church that was, not because we can see it in the corporate world. There are actually a lot of benefits to becoming a part of some other kind of small group that happens in your church. You all remember David Letterman? David Letterman? I got to see him before his show was done. Got to, we got to see him live. Dave uh, always had these top 10 lists, right? You remember those crazy top 10 lists? Okay, here's Dave's top 10 reasons to join a small group. Here we go. Number one, small groups foster close relationships, right? I, I give you three minutes to hug a neck in here. You, you've got to have a, some kind of other group where you can take more than three minutes to, to get to know somebody and find out what's going on in their lives. Number two, small groups provide a comfortable introduction to our church. Guess what? Next week, I'm going to ask you to invite people to church. You may think, oh, that person that I want to invite is not ready to step inside a church, but they might be willing to come to Theology on Tap. You see, small groups are a way for visitors to dip their toe in without going all in yet. Great opportunity. Number three, small groups help you identify individual needs in the church. Now let me tell you something. Mike and Pat are part of small groups. Their small groups knew about what was going on before you all did today in this setting just because it naturally flows out. You're part of a small group, you're going to begin to find out what are the real needs going on here. Who, who is struggling with whatever? You're probably going to find that out in a small group before you'll find out in the big setting, okay? Number four. Dave says, small groups provide a midweek check-in, right? A lot can happen between Sunday and Sunday. Sometimes it's good to have a midweek check-in. How is your week going? What's going on with you? Uh, you had that surgery on Monday. How did that happen? How did that go? What's going on? Right? Midweek check It's good to see each other in between Sundays. Number five, small groups foster prayer. Sure, we pray in here, but when you begin to find out the needs in your small community that you're a part of, and you find out the prayer requests, chances are you're going to be praying specifically or maybe together as a group about these things, okay? Prayer is always a good thing. Small groups have more prayer. Number six, small groups allow for open dialogue. Again, we, we don't get to have the give and take here. I'm the one that's doing all the talking. I don't even know what you're thinking about this. This dude is off his rocker. This is crazy. I don't know that because we, this is not set up for that. In small groups, you get to have that kind of dialogue. You know, I've always had this question. How does this work? What's going on here when you have Bible studies? I don't understand this passage of Scripture. Well, I think this is what this means. Dialogue, good thing. Number seven, small groups allow for mutual edification. Edification being becoming better people, right? If the point of this is Christ-like transformation, that can happen in small group settings. You push each other to become better people better citizens of the church. Number eight, small groups encourage better learning. You know, there are all different ways that people learn. Some people are 
audio learners. They hear stuff. That's how they pick it up. Some people are visual learners. Some people have to ask questions. Some people need to, there are other ways that people learn. This, this is one, one setting here. And if you are not this type of learner, maybe you need a small group to help you grasp stuff in a different way. Number nine, small groups provide a source of encouragement and accountability. Right? We need to encourage each other. We need to hold each other accountable. You said you were going to uh, really try to pray about this one thing every day this week. Have you been able to do that? Right? I'm not talking about like this kind of accountability. Just like you told me you wanted this, and I'm checking in. How are you doing with that? Okay? And number 10, drum roll. Small groups cultivate leadership. Now, we, we have small groups, and I lead several of them, but I don't lead all of them. I can't lead yoga, right? There are several small groups that... Uh, yeah, I, yeah. That, we're, that's not worth a quarter. Small groups, small groups allow other people to step up. I've had a vision for this thing. Tracy's had this vision for women's ministry, right? That, that vision, setting that up, doing this, this women's retreat, allows her to step into that leadership role, to, to cultivate her own leadership potential. That's a really good thing in churches. We might find that we have leaders among us that can do great things. You know, a church that we, we've been talking about, we want to be a church that reaches the Zacchaeuses of the world. And what I mean by that is the people on the margins, the people that are, don't quite feel like church is a safe space to go, but they desperately want to, to glimpse Jesus. And so they go to extremes, they climb trees, they, they try to glimpse Jesus on the outskirts, right? And, and we as a church find those people and say, come, out of, come into this space, like it's safe here. Come into this place. A church that reaches Zacchaeuses has got to be healthy and vibrant. There has to be a sense of camaraderie when they step into that space. Right? If a Zacchaeus-type person comes into this place and there's a bunch of infighting or coldness or distance between us, if we're a bunch of individuals that have just gathered into this room on Sunday morning, that's probably not going to attract that person. They're looking for community as they try to glimpse Jesus. And meeting once a week or less is just not going to happen. Do you want to say something during my sermon? What do you want to say? Yeah. Yeah. Just like that. <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. Phil was a smart guy. 
You know, I've been a part of many churches. I've served in, in many churches. I have to tell you, this church, Grace United Methodist Church, is one of the most creative and inventive small group churches I have ever encountered in my life. Before I even came here, just looking at your website, I knew this place is different. This is like blinds.com different, okay? So I started making a list of all the things we have. Tell me if I miss any of these. We have Breakfast Club. We have Sacred Breath Yoga. We have men's and women's Emmaus groups. We have Christian Cinema. We have Legacy Youth. We have Theology on Tap. We have Blue Smoke. We have Grace Trippers. We have Ladies Retreat. We have The Band, who is a small group all unto their own and meets on Thursday nights. They pray together, sometimes share a meal together. We have occasional, uh, I hear about occasional game nights and dinner parties that pop up here and there. These aren't like, like regular uh, small groups, but they're just kind of like pop-up small groups that meet. I know of at least one home group that has been meeting for a long, long time in this church. There may be more that I don't know about. I started this crazy thing called Grace Cycling Club. We get out and meet Jesus on the road while we pedal it out, right? Did I miss any? That's a lot. That's a lot. Some of these are here in the church. Some of them are out in the community. Some are in the homes of the people. Tons and tons of opportunities to fellowship, to grow, to participate in each other's lives. I would love to see the majority of us involved in one of those things. Not just a fraction of us, the majority of this church involved in some kind of midweek small group. So we've been talking about these these core strategic values that we're laying out. Like if we're going to be a healthy, vibrant church, if we're going to reach the Zacchaeuses of the world, I'm giving you five things to look at, to consider, to buy into, to say, I'm all in, right? We've talked about giving generously. We've got to be a generous church. We've talked about receiving guests and visitors like their family. When they come in, they need to know their home, right? We talked last week about attending church every week. No more, I, I, I just don't feel like going to church today, so I'm going to skip out, right? If you're here, go to church. This is your church family. This is your main connection point. This is the worship time that we come together. This is where we meet God in some special format, some special place. It's, a, it's like a sacrament. Now, I'm telling you, we need to be a church that's committed to connecting to each other beyond Sunday morning. We've got to be intentional about connecting to each other, getting to know one another. And guess what? If none of those options work for you, there's a lot of options, but if none of them work for you, start your own. There are no rules. Ken, Ken said to me, I, I want to start this RV group. Grace trippers, we're just going to occasionally hop in our RVs and, and go out, you know, and, and just spend time with each other out in nature. Great, do it. Do it. Awesome. If you have an idea, run with it. I, I don't know what that looks like for you. Form a small group. Begin to journey together. Host a regular game night or a dinner party at your house. Grab some folks and go bowling. I, I don't, 
I don't really care what it is just as long as you're spending time together apart from Sunday morning. Get involved in each other's lives. Fellowship, koinonia, participation. Participate in each other's lives. This is how we're going to become a strong, healthy, vibrant church. This is how we're going to not just survive, but thrive. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this reminder that this early church that, that probably was not ready to take over the helm for Jesus, but Jesus gave it to him anyway, one of the first things they did was make sure that they were spending time together apart from just the worship hour, that they were deeply involved in each other's lives. We want to retain that. We want to see the value and the benefit in that. And so help us. Help us just to consider. I, I know people work. I know that week, week schedules can be really uh, tough sometimes to, to get apart. Sometimes all the energy you have is to come to church on Sunday. But if there's a way that we can find a hole in that schedule sometime, that we would be dedicated to taking that. And that maybe we would find that as we do that, that the connections that we build, the authentic relationships that we grow, the way that it affects uh, how we view church and how we view each other is actually deeply restful. Uh, that, it, that, that you, we were made for connection. And so when, when we're connected to others in that way, we're actually at home. We're actually living into who we are as humans. And so I pray that we would take advantage of that. Thank you, Lord. Amen. All right, folks, don't forget your first opportunity to come hang out with a smaller group of people will be tomorrow morning at 9 at Jocelyn's Donuts. If that doesn't work for you, there are many other opportunities. Just look in your bulletin. Look on the church calendar. Okay? With that, will you grab the hand of the person next to you? Cameron, you want to get in on this? Come on, buddy. Grab a hand. Receive this blessing. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May you know that you are perfectly loved, completely forgiven, and uniquely empowered. And now you're called to go out into the world and live as the hands and feet of Jesus. That's a tall order. We're going to make some mistakes this week, y'all. That doesn't change how God feels about us because God's love for us is not based on our performance. It's rooted in God's nature. So that by his amazing grace, when he looks at us, he says, y'all are nothing but the best of the best of the best. Can you imagine what tomorrow would look like if you left here believing that? I think it would kick off a really good week. So in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, please take that good word and go from this place in peace.